everybody. By the way, I meant to say this before and I forgot. Um, if this is your first time here or if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David. Uh, I will be your guide for the next 30 minutes or, or so. Your Sherpa of Scripture. A little giggle there. That's awesome. Just kidding. Um, I'm finishing up our series on, uh, that we called Forward because we're talking about the for, um, going forward as a church. And um, it's really about Thrive's path and, and kind of where, you know, we sense God is taking us as a congregation and, frankly, as individuals as well. Um, it's really interesting to me that um, we often have to look backwards in order to look forwards. Does this make sense? Um, you know, uh, someone once said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. <laughs> I think that's probably true. And so uh, during this entire series, I've been trying to look backwards as we we'll look forward. And, and I want to start here today, just kind of recapping several things. I believe in, in my very innermost being, I believe that Jesus was serious when he said, love God, love people. Okay? I, I want to... Serious as a heart attack about that. And when he said that, he was essentially communicating to all of us that loving God and loving people were the essence of the Old Testament. If you want to understand what the Old Testament, what God was trying to say to his people all along was simply that. Love God, love people. It is indeed what Jesus presumed. It's what he accepted as um, the whole point to the Old Testament. And I wouldn't, I, I want to go a step further and I would say that it's, it's the most basic of all Christian teaching, period. In fact, if you really think about it, you can take a look at all of the teachings of Jesus and even what you know, Paul was writing and some of the other disciples and you can trace it back to this idea of loving God and loving people. So you kind of start from there and you work your way out. It doesn't get more basic. If you're um, in uh, any one of the science disciplines, this is what we call first principles. You, you cannot reduce Christianity any further than this idea of loving God and loving people. It's, it's kind of the bottom line, so to speak. And I'm afraid that church leaders, myself included, okay, I'm not, I'm not leveling any charge at anybody that I'm not leveling at myself, but I'm afraid that church leaders, myself included, have presumed that people knew how to love God and love people. Let that sink in for a moment. I presume, like a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders, that we think everybody knows how to do this. We know how to love God and love people. But the fact of the matter is, we don't. We don't know how to do that. We have to learn. That's why Jesus said in the Great Commission, Go, make disciples, baptize, and what? Teach. Teach them everything that I have commanded. And this is the basic of all teaching. If you, I'm, oh, I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but that's okay, I don't mind. <clears throat> if you don't get love God, love people, you probably don't understand Christianity. Can I just say that? I mean, ultimately, if you don't get that part, you're, <laughs> You're kind of screwed at that point. You're not going to understand Christianity going forward. That's how fundamental, that's how basic it actually is. And that's what we have to teach. 
why we have to teach, and that's why Jesus said that in the Great, Great Commission. So without a shadow of a doubt, in my mind, love God, love people is the basic. Everything else begins to branch out from there, okay? Now furthermore, I also believe that there are two ways this love is expressed. Just two. <laughs> two ways this is expressed. First of all, loving God and loving people happens on an individual level. And in the Bible, we call that a disciple. If you don't believe me, the term is mathetes. It's Greek. It means disciple. And I don't mean um, the sense of somebody who sits at a desk and just learns something passively. But it's a very active sort of thing. Okay? So we have this idea that this love God, love people happens on a very personal, individual level. Disciples. Okay? The second way that it's expressed is when you get a bunch of disciples together. Now, some of you heard me say this before. Birds flock, school, uh, fish school, owls parliament, leopards leap, lions pride, disciples church. You get a group of disciples together, you have a church. The term in Greek, if you're interested, is ekklesia. And so when you have a group of disciples and they're gathered together, you have a church, and the Bible does not care how many there are. We spend an awful lot of time in church world talking about numbers. And don't get me wrong, there's a, there's a numbers element to this. But there is no place after Acts chapter 2 where we have any sense of how big those churches are. They're just a group of disciples who are gathered in that particular city. Where there are two or more, there he is. That's a church. Does this make sense? So I think this is really important. I think this is the most fundamental of all, all teachings. So the, the, the text seems very unconcerned with numbers per se. And by now, um, you should all be familiar with our, our, our little grid here. Love God, disciples in church. And here's the grid. Um, our two by two. Um, my cousin calls this the magic square. <laughs> Just texted me that last week. I really like the magic square. Magic square. Okay, I hope that one doesn't stick. But I got it anyway. But this is this is our grid. This is our matrix. So here's the question: Do you want the blue pill or do you want the red pill? I want the red pill because I really want to see what the kingdom of God is all about. And I think this is the, the direction that God is taking us as a church to try to get back down to the most basic of basics and then kind of expand from there. And now we've explored three uh, quarters of, 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 this, um, of this grid and we're giving each quadrant a name. I've, I've tried to outline some practices uh, and a tool and of course there's a, a fundamental value to it. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but let me just kind of walk through this real quick. A disciple loves God in what we call the encounter. This is the place where we actually check in with God on a regular basis. And here's the thing. I was thinking about this the other day. How do you express love to a person? The first thing you do is you just pay attention to them. Those of you who are married, if you don't pay attention to your spouse, how long is that going to last? Right? So when we talk about God, God is a person and God wants us to connect with him. Now I'm not trying to guilt anybody or make you feel bad about it. I'm just talking about the reality of relationship. And the fact of the matter is the way that you first express God, remember we're talking basics here, fundamentals, first principles. 
bare bones. This is church in the raw, okay? This is really what it's all about. If you as a disciple want to um, express love to God, the first thing to do is just pay attention to him and to regularly schedule some type of time with him at, at some level. You can, you can choose to how to do that the way that you want to. And, and for us, the practices are quite simple. It's you listen to what God is saying to you because he does speak to you, right? And you record what you hear him say. Now, here's the reason why we say that, is that sometimes God will say something to you and it'll be weeks later that you realize that he was talking to you about this particular thing. Have any of you had that experience where you clearly felt something that God was trying to communicate to you and like two or three weeks, weeks later, bam, you're like, oh, that's what that was about. The older you get, the more you forget, okay? And so I gotta write stuff down. When my wife sends me to the grocery store, I have a list because I'll forget. Here's the truth. If it were up to me, I'd just go get chips. That's all we'd have. This is why you should never have me plan a party because I will forget napkins and forks, but we'll have chips and lots of them. So I have to have a list. And so the same thing is true. If God is trying to communicate something to me, I need to write it down so I don't forget it. Now, maybe, you know, you're further along this maturity level than I am, but, you know, if you are, God bless you. But for the rest of us, we kind of got to write this stuff down. So we listen to what God is saying in the encounter and record those things because he's going to refer to them later, typically. And the tool that we use in this is a journal. Now, you could choose to do something else. It, it, it's fine. I know some people who um, use the record uh, feature on their phone. They're, they're driving along and um, God will speak to them in their car. I don't know why that is, but God, and my best ideas come when I'm in the car and when I'm in the shower. I don't know why that is, right? But the point is that God is speaking, and when he speaks, you want to remember that, and so they'll use the record thing on their phone. That's fine. Or if you want to use the notes app on your phone, that's fine too. The point is, is that you've got to have some reference point. You've got to have some data point that God spoke. Here's what he said. I may not know what that means, but I'm trusting that it's for a later use. Because I don't think God is, I don't think God is ever trivial. I think if he speaks, he's serious. Let's just start there, okay? There we go. So, the encounter. <clears throat> so, a disciple, this is an individual expressing love to God, happens in the encounter. Now, a disciple loving people we call ministry. And I, this actually surprised me as I was kind of going through the text and I was looking at the types of ministry that Jesus and his disciples were engaged in. It's always one-on-one. -on -one. Always. And if you think about it, even if you're with a group of people and you're like praying for somebody, there's always been somebody who's leading that prayer, right? And, and the fact of the matter is, and if you've ever never done this before, it, 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 it's, it's a fascinating thing to do, but um, if you've got a group of people who are surrounding someone else and they're laying on hands and they're praying for them and, and you just kind of open it up where anybody can, can pray, it's still one-on-one. -on -one. one person speaking to, to God on behalf of the other. And there's, what's an amazing thing is, if you've never noticed this before, we will say things to a person in prayer that we would never say to their face. It's a beautiful thing. So we call it hot seat prayer. And it's not as scary as it sounds. It's actually pretty cool. But the point is, is that ministry is done one-on-one. -on -one. It's done person-to-person. It's a full-contact sport. 
it's something that we have to do to engage with actual individuals. Now, I know that we, we have programs in a church that we call ministries, but they really are programs because ministry happens on a very personal type of level, one-on-one. And so the practices here is <coughs> in the encounter we listen, but in, in, in ministry we actually respond to what we hear. That's the point, Right? God doesn't just, you know, give you downloads for the sake of you. Sometimes he does, but usually he blesses in order to be a blessing to others. You're a conduit. You're a ripple. However you want to think about that, but the point is, if God is speaking to you, there is some type of response typically involved with that, and we call that ministry. Not always, but most of the time. There's a ministry uh, um, part of that. The other practice that we have is we call it priesting. I know, it's a little odd word. But sometimes um, we pray for other people, and and I think that's ministry. But priesting is a little bit different. Priesting is when when you sit with the Lord in your encounter on behalf of another person. And let me tell you, there is nothing quite as powerful as priesting for someone else. Try it with your kids, it's amazing. And what you're saying ultimately is, God... I love this person. They're going through X, Y, Z. I want to hear what you have to say about them. Is there a way that I can participate with you in the ministry to this person? What do you have to say? Can I hear and partner with you? What do you want to say to me about that individual? Don't take that lightly. And don't try to do it all in one sitting. It'll take you some time. I've got a couple people that I've been priesting for lately, and uh, I noticed in my journal, because I use a journal, that um, God spoke some things. Um, I'm not supposed to share it yet. I know that. But um, I noticed there was a couple of days that I missed priesting for, for them, and I said, oh, stop. God, before I go on, I want to make sure that I priest for this indi- indi- these individuals. Uh, Lord, what is it? And got another little download. And what's so interesting to me is I don't necessarily know what it all means, but I suspect that there's going to be a moment where it's all going to fall into place because God is that good at orchestrating those things and being, and I want to be part of that because that's ministry. There's something truly profound when someone else says, hey, I I don't know if, if, if this makes any sense to you or if this resonates, but I thought I heard God say this about you. And it's that word that you need right at that right moment of time and it's just, it just hits you. There's something powerful because Holy Spirit loves us all and he wants to see us as a body. Does this make sense? And so we get to participate in that. So um, for us, the practice is respond and sometimes we priest. And of course, the tool here is are the spiritual gifts. God gives gifts, gives tools to his people to actually affect be effective in ministry. Does that make sense? Sometimes I think we take um, spiritual gifts and we kind of leave them in this special category by themselves, but they're not. They're tools for the body to minister to one another and the people around us. So that's the individual side to this. Disciples love God in the encounter. They love people in ministry. And... Then we look at the church. Remember, we got a group of disciples. How does a group of disciples actually love God? Well, we call that celebration. I talked about that at the, at the top of the, of, the, uh, of the service today. Celebration. 
we're celebrating what God has done throughout the week. Now, this can get a little convicting. And I want to be very careful how I say this because there's no condemnation here. There's no shame. There's no guilt because we're all learning. And sometimes the learning curve is steep. My learning curve often needs carabiners and guide wires, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, sometimes it, it takes me a while to understand things. And that's the case for, for this idea of celebration. We're learning how to do this. And here's where it's convicting. If you don't have something to celebrate during the week, you might want to go back to the encounter. Does that make sense? If you're a Christian who's following God and trying to be a disciple, you probably ought to have something to celebrate on Sundays. I get very worried when I talk to an individual or a church and I ask them, hey, what's God doing? Or what do you think God might be doing? And I don't get any answer at all. I, I worry a little bit about that. And I don't mean that from a judgmental standpoint, but I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't want you to miss out on what God is doing because God's always active everywhere. And he's inviting all of us constantly to be a part of that with him. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out because those are the stories that we want to tell. So celebration is that primary place where the church, when we gather together, love God. And we do that simply through worship and testimony, telling stories. We tell stories about what God has done. Um, I said this last week, and it, it still strikes me as being very profound, that every preacher that I know, when they open the text and they begin to preach out of it, that's a testimony to what God did. Now, are we teaching? Hopefully, we're doing a little teaching along the way. Hopefully, we're challenging some thinking. We're doing all of that. But ultimately, we're opening the word. We're pulling a story out, and we're saying, this is what God has done. That's testimony, right? So we celebrate God through worship and through testimony, and the, the tool that we use is the weekly gathering. That's why you're here. That's what we're doing right now. Basics, fundamentals, and so we're down to one last section. How does the church love people? How does a group of disciples love people? How do we do that? What does that look like? And best I can tell is that we do that through community. We live in intentional community, a group of disciples learning to love each other and the people around them. That's community. Now, I'm not just making this up, right? So we're going to go to the text. We're going to take a look at it and make sure that there's, make sure there's some scripture passages and we want to make sure that we, we're checking in with, with the word. We want the word to drive this and not just kind of our own ideas. So we're going to begin with the first group of disciples, the first church. And so if you have a Bible, you might want to turn, turn to Acts chapter 2. Otherwise, I'll have it on the screen for you. You can see it there. I want to read a little section of this and then point a couple of things out. So Acts chapter 2, very familiar passage, um, verses uh, 42 through 44. They, meaning these first disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, uh, 
there's been quite a bit of scrutiny on these verses uh, over the years by multiple different scholars, but there's a couple things that are worth looking at here. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm guessing that included love God and love others, okay? Be my guess. But they also devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, the word here in Greek, for those of you who are interested in such things, is koinonia. And koinonia is a fascinating word because it means, means community. It's often translated in the New Testament as community or as, as fellowship. But we have to be careful about it because there's some nuances to the word. Um, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but koinonia doesn't mean just a group of people who are gathered together. Koinonia involves a shared experience. So think of it this way. If you lived in a large apartment building, say in a metro major metropolitan area, and um, you rode an elevator with four or five other people, is that koinonia? No. That's just a group of people riding the elevator. It's a group. If, however, you were riding that elevator with the same group of people every morning when you went to work and every evening when you got home from work and you began to have a conversation about how their day was and about what what's going on in their lives, about their spouses and their kids, their work, now you have a shared experience because you've had a conversation with them. And it's this conversation over time. That's koinonia. Do you, do you understand the difference? So koinonia is nuanced. It, so when we talk about fellowship here, it really is about spending time together. So it really is about relationship over time. Does this make sense? So koinonia is a very specific word. Don't miss that. Because otherwise we think, oh, we just gather together. And I've been in some churches where people have been in the same church for years and years and years together and they really know nothing about each other's lives. That's not koinonia. That's not fellowship. I don't care how many cups of coffee you drink with them. There's a shared experience that's going on. And, and here in Acts chapter 2, we have a group of disciples who have the shared experience of Jesus. Have the shared experience of signs and wonders in some cases. So keep that in mind. Now I also um, want you to, to note this implication of they were together and I, I looked at this, I, I tried to ferret this out a little bit. There's an idea where people are unified in heart, right? They're, we're together on this. We're, uh, we're in agreement. That's not what this means. This, uh, this idea, at least as far as I can tell, is when they were together, really means about physicality. They, they were together in the same room. They hung out with each other, okay? So let's, let's make sure that we understand this. This isn't some spiritual thing, um, esoteric or or theoretical, this is very real. They devoted themselves to koinonia, to that kind of community, and they were together. And so ultimately, like we were just explaining, is that there is this idea that they spent time with one another because you cannot have community by yourself. If you do, you need to go see a therapist. Okay? I don't mind if you talk to yourself. When you answer yourself, I get a little worried, okay? So um, I, here's the thing, though. I, I never want to guilt people into anything, but, but your soul needs others. Your soul needs that. It needs other people. 
And so you have to make time for it because I guarantee you there's plenty of things that want your time and attention. Most of you hold it in the palm of your hand. Oh, got quiet. <laughs> but the point is, is that your soul needs other people. You need to make time. Um, and, you know, a great way to do that is through a small group, either at church or you can do it on your own. But are you, are you intentionally carving out time for God, but are you also carving out time for other people? And I think that one of the great, okay, I'm going to say this. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. That's okay. I've been in trouble before. Isolation is hellish. And if we haven't figured that out over the last two years, you've been under a rock. It is from the pit of hell that we are isolated from one another. Now, I understand there were medical concerns. But as we look at the whole, it has done so much damage. And we have to now begin to heal that by connecting with one another in some way. Now, I believe that the author of Hebrews had this in mind uh, when he penned this. And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Love God, love people, maybe? Okay. Not giving up, what? Meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. Ouch, that hurts. But encouraging one another. This is a big deal, I think. Now, first of all, a couple things. Um, some, someday, I'm going to have enough courage to actually go through the book of Hebrews. Because the person who wrote that is on genius level. Some people say it was Paul. I don't think that's true. I think it was probably Apollos or somebody else, but Hebrews is a brilliant piece of Greek literature. And so when, when the writer says things, I want to pay attention, because he's kind of a smart guy, presumably a guy, might have been a girl, I don't know. Point is, is that here he's saying something that's very profound that echoes down 2,000 years later, this is just as relevant, Okay? consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You are never going to do that by yourself. Not giving up meeting together. Yeah, you got to make some time for others. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. There's a relational component to this. There is power and safety in numbers, right? And so we want to meet together. But more importantly, um, we give we get outside of ourselves and have the opportunity to encourage someone else. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find the opportunity to encourage someone just as encouraging to me because they need it. And it, it fascinates me at how little encouragement people really need. It's not a lot, but they need it. They need to hear someone say, hey, keep on, hang in there, you got this. I've needed that, and I'm sure you have too. And so if you need it and I need it, there are probably other people who need it. It takes so little, and yet I think so many people are just desperate for it. Meeting together, finding ways of encouraging one another. Now finally, and maybe uh, definitively, let's consider Jesus. It's a good place to end, I think, as far as scripture goes. Here's John chapter 13. We just, 
I went through um, some of this as we were getting ready for Easter. Jesus is with his disciples. It's the last block of teaching that he's giving them before he's arrested and crucified. And in the 13th chapter, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, and by this, everyone will know that you are my what? Disciples. If you love one another. And I've been thinking about this for for a long, long time. I get the impression that if you're going to love God and love people, Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to do that, why don't you start with each other? (laughs) Right? You know, sometimes we're like, I'm going to take the city for Jesus. And really, all he wants you to do is to love the neighbor next door who, you know, keeps blowing his grass clippings and leaves into your driveway. You know, that thing that really bugs you, whatever it happens to be. And I think that we, we set our sights on big things, and Jesus always tends to start us kind of small. And so if you're going to love people, hey, start with the people around you. Start with each other. And how will others know if we don't learn to love each other? That's not attractive. Have you ever been in one of those churches where this group over here is backbiting that group over there? Oh, that never happens in the church, right? Of course it does. That's not attractive. We know that there's a toxicity there that we don't want any part of. And so, Jesus, I think, gives us the most basic of basics. (laughs) Love one another. This is your church family. Your kids will learn that God loves them because you love them. Your kids will learn that God loves them because the people and adults around you love them. The people who walk in the door who don't know Jesus or do know Jesus or have been burned by Jesus' people sometimes will not figure out that God loves them until you love them. Do you understand what's at stake? Love one another is not something that was said in passing. It is profound. And it ain't easy sometimes. Right? Let's be honest. Because we don't always get along with everybody, do we? No, we don't. We have chemistry with some, and sometimes we don't. It's not as easy as it sounds. Some people will drive you crazy. Others you won't connect with like you do other people. And there will be misunderstandings. This is why I think text messaging and emails are horrible ways to communicate. Because a lot of the percentage of of your communication is just in facial facial features and tone of voice, right? So sometimes you gotta do things face to face. But there will be misunderstandings. And here's the thing, and I you've got to understand how all of this stuff fits together because It's in those moments when things are tense, those are the moments that you go back to the encounter, you sit with God, and you say, oh God, I'm supposed to love them, how do I do that? Because you're not gonna get it right all the time. That's why we have grace, right? And the grace sometimes is not just who we extend to other people, but it's grace that we give ourselves. The point is, is that you've got to go back to God and what he's saying about you and about the circumstances around you and sometimes you need that and you sit and you listen. You don't try to tell God about that person. God already knows. 
you know, God understands how that person is just getting under your skin. And it's not what they say, it's the way they say it. Some of you, you, you people are elbowing your spouse. I'm not sure why that is, but <laughs> it happens. But here's the thing. When you go into the encounter and you begin to listen, what you're listening for ultimately here is that there is something that God is trying to teach you through that relationship. I don't want you to miss it. Do you understand that? The whole point is, yes, they might be driving you crazy, and there might be something you need to learn just as much as that person needs to learn. Oh, boy, I just stepped in it right there. We don't like to hear that part, do we? I might have to learn something. Of course not. I get it right all the time. Your pants are on fire. Okay, let's just say that. Okay. So based on on what we've uh, read from these and probably some other texts, I think there are two basic practices that emerge. Because remember, we're not just interested in labeling this quadrant. We actually want some practices around this. And so in in my mind, there's a couple of things that, that begin to emerge when we're talking about loving one another, loving people inside this idea of community. First of all, we express community when we care for one another. When we actually care about what happens to them. Now, sometimes we have to learn this and you've, you've got to um, be in a position where you might have to be vulnerable and tell somebody that you might need some care. We don't like that either. It's not American. But it's true. But sometimes we care for one another. Maybe it's through prayer. You know, maybe we just need to pray for, for someone. Maybe there's actual one-on-one ministry that needs to occur with them. Um, things like meals when circumstances um, require it. Um, in my small group, I'm always amazed at how much my group prays for each other and, and provides meals when they need it. It's, it's just amazing. Sometimes it's physical uh, assistance or help with a project. But here's the thing. There's <laughs> it gets a little more basic than that. Sometimes care is simply sitting down with someone and saying, how you doing? Don't try to snow me here. How you really doing? Sometimes care is as simple as that. We try to make it this elaborate thing, and it really isn't. You okay? What's going on? We also express community when we encourage one another. This is what I think the writer of Hebrews was getting at. When we encourage one another. Um, Maybe we're encouraging a person to take a ministry risk. Because remember, <laughs> ministry is always risky. If you, don't, if you aren't willing to feel like a fool, you're never, ever going to accomplish much ministerially. And so sometimes we need others to go, yeah, I think you, sh- you should try that. We need that encouragement. Uh, maybe it's encouragement to go back to God in the encounter and listen a little bit more. I've had some um, fellow pastors who have said that to me. Yeah, I don't think you're done here. I, I think God still has something for you uh, in, in, in this, and you, you need to sit with God. <clears throat> um, I'm not very patient, so that one doesn't go over well with me, but it's true, and, and I need that encouragement. Uh, perhaps um, they, you know, people need to be encouraged to tell their story. How many great stories about God's work do we miss because we just don't ask? I 
don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. Maybe um, we need to encourage people to be God's presence to someone else. We're in his presence to be his presence. And sometimes encouragement is as simple as, hey, you're not alone. Don't miss how profoundly encouraging that is. I don't know what to do to help you, but I'm here. That is ministry in and of itself because you're simply present with that person in their pain. You're not alone. So Thrive's um, tool here, because you have practices and you have a tool, uh, our tool is just the life group. Um, It's a house church. Remember, the Bible doesn't care about numbers. So if you got a group of disciples who are gathered together, however many number, as a church. So life group is really a house church. Um, And if if you're working to love God and others with others, you a church. Does this make sense? You're engaged in that activity. And so our life groups gather to care and to encourage one another. Oh, by the way, we also eat together, which is really cool, because most of the time we eat like royalty, and it's awesome. Um, you sleep very well that night because of food coma. That's just the way to get you in. Anyway, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. It's true. So our life groups gather to care and to encourage one another. And, and this is the way I think it's supposed to be because I think there are some times where um, the, the, the pastor or the pastoral staff or the senior leader is kind of expected to be that caring presence. And there are certain pastors that are just wired that way. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are supposed to care for one another. This isn't something that we relegate to the professionals. If, if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to be his disciple, you love one another, so you care and encourage them. Does this make sense? I think it's really important that we don't try to, um, again, relegate that to you know, some type of professional. Look, here's the deal. If you're, if you're the disciple in the room and somebody needs care and encouragement, guess what? You're elected. You're the person. And God's ready to empower you to do that. And then you can do ministry. Now, <coughs> finally... There are um, some ideas that we value as a church. I want to quickly talk about these. I think this is really important for us to to get a hold of. So in the encounter, the the value is to be unhurried, to be unhurried in your time and unhurried in your agenda. Oh, the agenda, that's a really hard one to set aside. But that that deserves a class, which, by the way, there is a class. You can take a class on the encounter, and it's coming up in June. And I would suggest that you talk about that. There's been a couple of people who've already been through that class. If you're interested, you can talk to me. You can talk to them. Uh, No, you should talk to them because I'm biased. I will tell you that it's awesome, and it is. So I want you to actually uh, talk to people who have been through the class. And it it really is about this idea of listening to God, learning how to, to listen and to record those things but to do it in an unhurried way, okay? The value in ministry is courage because it takes a lot of courage to take some ministry risks because one of the things that we always get concerned about is what if I pray for healing and it doesn't work? If you don't take credit for it, you don't have to take blame. 
but it takes courage. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna pray for this. Or if you sense that God is speaking to you about something and you have maybe a, a prophetic sort of utterance, it takes courage to tell somebody about it. I was just talking to someone the other day, I don't remember if I've said this in here, but I was talking with someone the other day and uh, this person often has um, dreams in particular, but sometimes visions, and she um, very casually mentioned this to s- um, uh, that idea to, to someone in her, her small group, and it was another woman, and the woman said to her, um, yeah, I, I get some visions too, but I can't talk about it with anybody. <sighs> My heart hurts because the church is missing out on what God's speaking. I don't want to miss out. F-O-M-O, FOMO, fear of missing out. Yep, that's me. I don't want to miss out on anything that God has in mind. Now, that doesn't mean that all prophecy is equal. It doesn't mean that all prophecy shouldn't be tested. I'm not saying any of that. But the point is, is that (coughs) we need uh, uh, to create some type of environment where people can actually be courageous about the things that they're hearing God speak to them. Okay, in the celebration, our, our value is expectancy. <laughs> this one, you know, what do you expect when you wake up on Sunday morning? Are you expecting to meet with God or are you just, you know, coming to church? That's cool. You want to come to church, that's fine. But when, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I think about is, God, what are you going to do today? Because I want to say yes. I want to say yes to the things that you want us to do in here. I want to be a part of that. Again, I don't want to miss out. So really, the expectancy is the value. There's a value here. And here in community, we also value something else. It's demonstration. We value the demonstration. Love one another. Love is a verb, right? So we want to love one another, and so there's a demonstration to it. It's a high, high value. Loving each other might involve ministry, and it might be more of just simple blessings. But the point is, we are doing it together. This is a group of people who are demonstrating this to each other and the people around them. And it's clear from scripture that togetherness was expected. It's clear from that. There is something profound about being together. Holy Spirit came when the disciples were together in the upper room. And I love when we're together on Sunday mornings. I love this. I love seeing all of you. I like hearing the the things that are going on. I really enjoy this. Um, there's an author that uh, actually Dan told me about. I've been reading this book for a while. Um, the author's name is Terry Wardle. Uh, he's a Pentecostal. I think he's uh, teaching up somewhere in Ohio, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> but uh, he's a writer and a professor, and I really like his take on together. And I, I want to show you this. He said, A spiritual community is a gathering of people brought together by their shared love for Christ. There's koinonia. Love for one another, and, and I love this, a longing for more. I want more. I do. I want more. I enjoy this, but I want more. I want more of what God has in mind for us together. He goes on, together is vitally important to the Christian life. Basic, actually. (laughs) There we are, fundamentals. Alone is fine and at times necessary. But for some reason, the Lord honors together. Keep that in mind. The Lord honors when we're together. We must commit to together, invest in together, open our hearts to the coming of the Spirit together. And I think he nails this idea of community better than most because it is together that we do this. 
Ultimately speaking, when we gather together, there's something that's profound, and God honors that. Now, this is not a, um, a commercial for life groups. Although, if you want to be a part of a life group, you can let me know, okay? <laughs> but it's not a commercial for that. What it is, is just saying, what is the basics, what are the fundamentals of discipleship? What does it mean to actually follow Jesus in today's world? And have we overcomplicated it? Yeah, the answer is yes, we have. So what are the fundamentals? What are the basics we have to do? Learning to love God and love people sounds simple, but is incredibly challenging. Would you agree? And that's what we're attempting to do as a church. And as this church moves forward, because Jesus is the head, I'm the associate, I just get to be here because he assigned me here. This is the direction that we want to go. These four areas, you're going to hear a lot about over and over again. Because I don't think that you can get past the fundamentals. Everything else builds off of here. And we have to start here. I want to get this part right. So I don't know where you are today with all of this, but I trust that he does, and that maybe he's speaking to you about something, maybe. But my hope is that as a church, we would truly understand, I mean like deep down soaked into our very souls, what it means to love God and to love people. We're not going to get it right every single time. Far, far from perfect. But we want to be on that path. We want to be moving forward in that direction. Let's pray. God, you're good. You're so good. You've, you've given us this, I don't know, very simple kind of blueprint. And um, Lord, the first thing I want to I just want to ask is for forgiveness if we've overcomplicated it or if we've missed something or if we've perverted it or made it look like something that you just forgive us for that. But the beauty of grace is that you you give us an opportunity to reset. And so we're going to take it and we're going to say this is what's important to you and so this is what's important to us. Disciples, in a church who are going to learn how to love you more, love you better, and learn how to love people, starting with each other and then branching out to those people around us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that first that you would um, take care of any of that stuff in our heart that doesn't need to be there. Please, God. The junk, the insecurity, the sin, whatever it happens to be. You begin to remove that so that we are free to actually follow you forward. And Lord, I pray too that we would sense your empowerment to do these things. We'd have courage. Wisdom to know what to do, but of course the courage to do it. And even if we take steps and stumble you're there to catch us, to dust us off and say, that's okay, keep going. And I pray, Lord, that we'd also figure out how to encourage each other a little bit better. I just look at these people and I love them so much. I don't want them to miss anything that you have in mind.
You've talked about your kingdom. God, what, what does the kingdom look like here? Don't let us miss that. And I pray too, Lord, that any person who's experiencing not just doubt, but maybe doubt about themselves. Maybe there's that voice saying, yeah, you've tried this before and you didn't do so well at it. Or I don't know how I'm going to carve out more time to do something else in my busy life. Lord, first of all, that's the voice of shame. We're going to call it out. And in the name of Jesus, shame, you must be silent right now. You have no place pulling down the people of God. Holy Spirit, would you remind them that they are adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And that regardless of what they do, they have infinite value to you. That you went to the cross and you stepped out of a tomb for them because that's how much they meant to you. And that fundamental truth, God, don't let us miss it. And I pray just the protection on all of them that they would not listen to the voice of guilt and shame but would begin to hear the still, small voice of an almighty God who has never forsaken them, who is redemptive to the core. And God, if there's stuff in their life they're just not proud of, you still love them. Help them to know that. And I pray, Lord, that we would um, be mindful enough of people's circumstances that we would encourage them right where we need because your Holy Spirit just wants, wants us to do that for each other.